Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here, and really glad all of you are worshiping with us today, uh, especially if you're new, really glad that you're here. We'd love it to know that you were here. You can go out to our Connect Desk afterwards, just kind of fill out something there, let us know you're here. You can go online, grovechurch.org slash connect, let us know that you're here. We'd love uh, to connect with you any way that we can. And we're doing something a little bit different here at the beginning. Uh, I mentioned a couple months ago, if you were here, uh, we're just going to try to do a better job of kind of communicating more, kind of kind of what some of the things that are going on on more of the organizational side of the church. We gave a little update a couple of months ago. Uh, we've got another one of those updates today, but it starts with this video. So let's watch that. Hey, everyone. As some of you may know, our church is in a transition. We signed a new lease last November and we had a capital campaign, got some new space. And for the first time, our youth group was able to have their very own space. And we were incredibly excited about that. But unbeknownst to us at the time, um, the building was being sold. And pretty soon after it was sold, the, the new landlord made it very clear to me that he did not like the lease that we had signed and believes that he can get other businesses in here where he can make a lot more money. So he made it pretty clear that when this lease is over, he is, he is, he's wanting us to move out. And so we are now in the process of just kind of thinking like, what is next for us? And so rather than being frustrated or scared by that, we are excited about, uh, a new vision of just what it would be like for us to have a permanent space. And so we've got between four and seven years or so to kind of think through and pray through what God may have for us next. And that's, that's great because those, these kinds of transitions, that's about how long they'll take. And so what we need to do is kind of be thinking more about the future. And there's three things that really come to my mind as I think about us being in this transition. We need to prepare for it, which includes taking a, a big financial step forward for us as a church. We need to make sure that we finish strong and well here, that no matter what age you are, no matter what your status is, no matter who you are, that you can come here and feel like that you belong. And that we are more focused on our mission of bringing the hope and life of Jesus to our community and world than we've ever been. And so what we're going to do this fall is we're going to have another capital campaign, which is going to allow us to focus on all of those three goals and prepare us for the future that we know that God has for us. We're going to raise money for our worship team, got some equipment that needs to be replaced that not only is going to be good now, but is going to be able to move with us. And so that's already kind of helping us prepare for what's next. We're also going to redo our kids space, which is going to allow us to be able to communicate well to families that no matter what entrance you come in, no matter what classroom, we are excited that your kids are here and we want them to know that they belong. And we are going to raise some money for our missions budget that allows each of us to feel like we are taking more of an ownership in the outreach that we're doing in our community. And so put all three of those things together, we're going to be raising about $80,000. And I believe that this is going to position us better for this future that God has for us. We'll be giving you more details on that over the next few weeks. Um, but even now, just want you to be prayerfully considering um, how God might want to use you in this capital campaign. You know, I watched that video before we had this service. Obviously, I mean, I was also there when it was filmed. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm familiar with the content of this video, but I didn't really think about the awkwardness of like, hey, watch this video and it's just me talking. 
And it's like, hey, bro, you could have, you know, you were already here. You could have just, you could have just talked. Um, it allows it to be it looks a little more concise and um, kind of, so, um, again, some of that may be news to you, kind of that we're needing to transition out of this space over approximately the next five years. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, this is, this is a, cha- a transition. It's kind of a challenge for us, kind of thinking about what's next. And as we think about that, again, like that guy in the video said, we, um, we want to we be, be thinking about the future, but we also want to make sure that we finish well here. And so um, we've had some stuff happen. I, I tell you what, the people in our tech booth, don't look at them. They don't like to be looked at. They are, they are heroes. They've had some equipment go out over the last few weeks, and you probably haven't noticed. Uh, but because it's because they are just doing such an incredible job. But it's been a, a struggle and a challenge for them. And so we, we need to replace some things that have broken, but we also kind of did, a, hey, if we're going to do that, let's do these kind of things, kind of be a, a long-term fix for us too. So we're excited about that. Um, our kids' space, it just needs a bit of a spruce up. And at the same time, we also need some new equipment there that also was going to be able to move with us. And so it's almost like we're putting a bit of a down payment on what is next for us. And at the same time, there's just going to be more and more talk over the next few years about raising money, about different space, those kinds of things. And one of the things that I want to make sure just kind of stays with us is while we're talking all of that, about all of that, that we stay really laser focused on this part of our mission, which is to bring hope to our community and to our world. And so we have this budget where every year we make sure we give at least 10% of what comes in out to the community and to missions projects. And so we usually wait until the end of the end of the year, kind of see how much money we have, how much we haven't spent from, you know, we have our regular missionaries we support and we have leftover, we respond to one-time asks. And what I want to do is like, let's just go ahead and raise all of that money right now to get us between our regular commitments and our full missions budget so that we can start saying yes to those things now because we get a lot, we don't just get asks in May at the end of our budget year. And we've already had some asks and including The Call, which is a great organization that is supportive of foster families, they they made an ask and we went ahead and said yes to it in anticipation of this. And so we want to do this, like, like, like I said, in order to make sure that all of us really feel like we've got more of a hands-on involvement in our giving. There's a lot of giving that we do. You probably, probably don't do as good a job of making you aware of it. But anytime a missionary comes home, it's typically us that's helping pay for their plane tickets and allowing them to do this. Just lots of things like that in supporting the organizations in our community. And so, again, it's kind of a three-headed monster here. Uh, with uh, kids stuff, worship stuff, um, with outreach. And I know different ones of those are going to appeal to a lot of different people. But I really believe that doing this is going to kind of help us, again, take the next of many steps that we're going to need to take over the next few years. More details about this probably next week, week after. Kind of, you know, we'll have cards, kind of talk a little bit more of the specifics. Just want to go ahead and throw that out to you. Um, and as you can tell from our bumper that we are starting a money series this week, we do it every year. And there's part of you, I mean, the skeptics among you, right? Like, okay, bro, that's, that's, that's not a coincidence, right? Not a coincidence, right? You just happen to start raising money at the beginning of the money series. And I promise you, I can't say it is. I mean, I didn't ask that worship equipment to break for one, right? I didn't ask, hey, you should, you should break right around the time of the money series. It'll work out great. It, It was not like that. I mean, it, 
We could have moved it, I guess. We could have moved, we could have moved the money series. It's kind of where its spot is in our normal teaching year. I could have moved it, but I, honestly, I think having all of this kind of come at us at once, I think really enhances what it is I want to talk about, what we need to talk about, and really enhances why it's just a little uncomfortable. What is it? Like, I always try to think about this as I'm getting ready for a money series. And again, we do this every year. If you've been around the whole time, congratulations on your 13th money series that you've had the privilege of being able to hear over the last several years. We talk about this a lot, and I'm always trying to be really mindful of the fact that just for a lot of people, it is kind of awkward. It is just a little, like, like, like why is that? And I was thinking about, what are some other ones? Some other ones, like every year we also do a relationship series, and probably this year, I'm kind of already starting to think it through, do it in February. It'll probably be one week where we talk about uh, what, what does a healthy sex life look like um, for a Christian. And if I said that that's what we're going to talk about, I think it would, would uh, there would be a lot of discomfort. Right, let's just be honest. You're a little bit uncomfortable now, and all I did was just say like five words. Like I said, we might talk about it in February. Like mm, tummy, right? Your tummy, tummy starts to hurt a little bit, right? It just makes you uncomfortable. It's very, it's very sensitive, and there's a sense in which we have an anxiety about it that maybe I'm not doing or being who I'm supposed to be in that area. But if we were, on the other hand, to say, hey, today here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the appropriate use of the left hand lane in on, on the interstate. Right, how it's, it's just for passing lane. Don't be slow over there. You'd be like, "Yeah, that's what we're talking about." Because all those idiots, like, you'd be really passionate about it, right? Be passionate, and you wouldn't feel, you wouldn't feel attacked. But the things that come up, that really kind of feel like that they, they hit too close to kind of what's going on in the deepest parts of my heart. We just get a little uncomfortable. Which again, what we're talking about, we're, we're calling this thing off ramps. Because one of the things that God has really put at the front of my mind over the last year are really what are the things that are going to derail you. There's an idea that, of, of your life that you want to have. There's, there's a person that you're trying to be. There's what you want your family to look like, what you want your life to look like. You've got these goals and you've got this picture and you're going this way. This is who God wants me to be. And there's things that happen that get us off the path. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that there are three things that kind of rise to the top as to why. Two, we've already mentioned sex. You know, you know people, when people make mistakes, like you think I'm going with my life, next thing, one affair, one bad habit, one thing, and my life has been completely derailed. Money, same kind of deal. It's the number one thing, it's one, top two or three things, it's breaking up marriages. It's number one, kind of one, top two things, it's causing personal anxiety and stress in people's lives, right? So those are the kinds of things. Number three, I'll just add this one. I think an inability to kind of process our past hurts. We either ignore them or we get stuck in them and we, we can't process them and move on and allow God to heal us. You put those three things together, I think these are our biggest off-ramps that are really keeping us from becoming and being and maintaining this, this relationship with God and becoming who it is we believe that God's calling us to be. So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about money specifically. And as I think about how money can really be an off-ramp for us in our lives, there's a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to show you this little phrase at the very, at the very end 
um, that I feel kind of sums it up. And it's, it's the last half of verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that that is a line in a book that was written 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. Because I think that if we were, to, if, you know, whatever else it is I might say, whatever level of unease that we have when we talk about money, whatever, however, whatever this issue might be for you, I, I can't imagine that there is anyone in this room that would disagree with that. That because of people's drive for money, because of this unhealthy view that so many people have for money, it, it makes them wander off. And, and they get pierced. Many griefs come. I think about this very specifically in people in my job, people in my career. I'm at, there's this ongoing joke that I have with our staff, with our elder team, with all sorts of people. It's like, I never want to be in the headlines. I don't, you, I don't want you to ever have to wake up one day to open up a paper, look online, and see a, a headline that says, local pastor dot, dot, dot. Is that ever good news? Right? And what is it always? Some sort of sexual deviance or some manner of, of, of greed, of some sort of financial issue. In fact, unbeknownst, they didn't even know we were doing a money series. I got a, in a group text I'm in, somebody sent me this video of this pastor. Maybe you've seen it, of the guy fussing at his church uh, because they did not give him the watch that he said that he, if you, any of you seen this? This video, this is pastor, he's just like talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm so mad at you guys right now. You haven't bought me this watch that I want. I mentioned it three weeks ago how I really think this watch is good and I love this watch and you know, I get me this watch. I mean, just a full-blown rant, right? Or a few weeks before that where a guy came in and, and robbed the church and essentially just stole the jewelry that the pastor was wearing and in the process stole $300,000 worth of items, right? Pierced themselves with many griefs. Eager for money, we wander from the faith. It makes more headlines when pastors do it, but a lot of us do this. A desire, an obsession, an unhealthy view of money makes us wander from the faith, and we then are pierced with many griefs. So what are these many griefs? Well, let's look at this passage as a whole. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're kind of going to start here in the middle <coughs> in verse 5. Because Paul's talking about this group of people that are, you know, are, are bad influences, you know, wrong kind of teachers. But he says something about them in the end that kind of intros this idea of what Paul's talking about here with money. So it's a little bit awkward what we're entering in here in verse 5. Constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Right? So we're talking about, again, it's hard to believe that this was written 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture on the other side of the world. That's just what we're talking about. You know, there's a, there's a theology around it called prosperity theology where 
where the preacher will get up and say, hey, if you are really close to God and do everything right, God is going to make you, he's going to bless you financially. And if you're poor, it's because you're not connected to God. And if you are, are, are connected to God, he's going to make you rich. And it seems to me we got the inklings of that here in the, in the first part of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Believing that godliness is a means to financial gain. Or a corrupt preacher who's not necessarily preaching prosperity theology but is just saying, hey, like, hey, if I do this right and I have the right kind of church and I say all the right things, I'm going to be able to get rich here. And so they think this, and then Paul says this, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If there's nothing else you hear this week, will you hear that? Godliness with contentment is great gain. You be who God's called you to be and be content with where God has you, that is where gain is. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. We'll just sum all up what he says right here with this, with, this, with this idea. That our attitude about money can derail our life. I mean, the way that he says it, I mean, it's just very vivid. They fall into temptation, a trap, foolish, harmful desires, ruin and destruction is what he's describing. You get your attitude about money in the wrong way, it can wreck you. It can make you make really foolish decisions. It can ruin you. It can ruin your family. It can ruin your heart. You can bankrupt yourself. You can, you can isolate yourself. You can end up in prison. You can end up losing friendship. I mean, all sorts of things. We have stories. There's stories that are in the headlines, and there's stories in your family, and there's stories in your neighborhood and in your friend groups where it is in people's attitude about money just causes all sorts of griefs. And in this passage, we've got a very famous, and I would like to say famously misquoted verse, some of you may have heard it, where he says that the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, which is different than money is the root of all evil, which is not what it says, that is way more than what it says and different than what it says. We should make sure we understand exactly what it says, because if we exaggerate it, we can dismiss it. And if also if we misquote it, we can miss the big idea. Because there's a big difference between me saying, money is the root of all the evil, and the love of money is the root of all evil. If money is the root of all evil, then you're a victim of it. Money did this to me. It was money. Money can't do nothing to you. You know that, right? Right? I put a $20 bill, I throw it at you. Like, what's going to happen to you? Nothing. They're not going to attack you. It can't hurt you. It is an inanimate object, not capable of any violence or destruction or causing you any emotional pain. It is a piece of paper, a coin, a number on a spreadsheet. can't do anything to you. It is the love of money, though. And it's not the root of all evil. It is a root of a lots of kinds of evil, right? So we don't have to exaggerate it because, again, if you exaggerate it, you can dismiss it. Money's the root of all evil. No, it isn't. And then you move on with your life. But if I say your attitude about money is a root cause for all sorts of problems in your life, you can't run away from that. Because that's just real. 
And, and we see it and we've, we've lived it. We've experienced it. Maybe personally, you know, and in some different ways, we've experienced it with other people. So what are these things? What, what, what are these attitudes? If, we, if, if, if my attitude about money is gonna cause me a lot of grief, what are these attitudes? And, 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 and so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend today, we're gonna talk about some, what are these attitudes? What these attitudes are that if we have them are going to pierce us with many griefs. And then we'll spend some time next week talking about kind of what are the solutions? Or how, do, how do I heal myself from some of these bad attitudes? And then the third week, we're going to spend some time just with some, hopefully, some really practical, helpful advice to kind of help us get things right. All right, so what are some of these attitudes? The first one, it's the one that Paul's talking about primarily here. It's probably the one that most comes to our mind, the idea of greed, of greed. Now, we need to make sure we define this. Because if I were to say to you, <clears throat> where's a problem with greedy people in our society? There's too much, there's too many greedy people. There's too much greed in our society. You'd be like, yeah! And like, and who are they? And you'd have this image of somebody. And it is these people that are, that are greedy, right? And you listen to politicians talk about it. You're going to hear certain things. You know, it's, it's, you know, hedge fund managers, Wall Street Big business, CEOs, right? They're all corporate greed. Like, right? What, when we think of greed, we think of people who have what we believe to be an inappropriate amount of money, which very often all that really means is someone who has more money than me. Someone who has more money than me is rich and it's inappropriate. I have, I don't want to say the appropriate amount of money. The appropriate amount of money is a little bit more than what I have. And then more than that is greedy and, 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 and makes you rich and bad. And everyone thinks this way, except for maybe like, I don't know, the royal family, the Waltons, Bezos, right? I mean, like that, I think it was like, do you feel like you're rich? No, I'm not. Right? They, they know that they're rich. But let me tell you, this is a story. It's going to be more political than I mean for it to be. It was 2016 when Hillary Clinton was running for president. And somebody asked her kind of a very challenging question about what it was like for them because supposedly you said when you left the White House, you said that you were dead broke. And now you're worth $300 million and you're, and you're really rich. And she says back, we are not rich. Okay, now that is not a shot at her in particular. It's just the best example that came to my mind of this attitude she, because of the, the world that they live in, interact with a lot of billionaires who have a lot more freedom, a lot more wealth, and a lot more access to things than what they do. And those people are rich. We only are worth about $300 million. Which sounds ridiculous to anyone who, make, who has a net worth of anything less than that. But I'm not saying that she, there's something wrong with her. I'm saying there's something wrong with all of us. Because all of us, on a, with, with, with the rare exception of maybe a few of you, all of us here on a global scale are amongst the wealthiest people in the world. But are you rich? No, I'm not rich. You know why? Because I can point at houses and cars and things that other people don't have. But what is greed? First, I want to say again, that greed is something that we're all capable of. 
And let's define it this way. Greed is not saying, looking at a car and being like, that's a nice car, I wish I had that car. That's a nice house, I'd love to live in that house. Hey, I like your house, I like your car, I like, I like those clothes that you're wearing. You, uh, admiring something, even wanting something, isn't bad. It's, it's a little bit like lust. Lust is not admiring the beauty in someone else. Lust is the craving for something that does not belong to you. So greed is not, it'd be nice if we had more money. I would like a house like that. Greed is this unhealthy craving and desire for something that is not yours. And when I begin to believe that someone else has something that they don't deserve and I deserve it more and that should be mine, that unhealthy desire. And again, because Paul contrasts it with contentment. I am happy with where I am right now. I may would like different, but I am content. The opposite of contentment, an unhealthy craving and desire for more. Now, when it comes to finances, I've got my issues. I'm not going to say that I don't, but this, this one's not one for me. Like this, this kind of, this greed, this compulsion for more. There's, a, um, there's a, uh, an Instagram account. Some of you may have stumbled across Preachers and Sneakers. Everybody seen this? They take pictures of like these, well, more well-off pastors and take a picture of their shoes and then look them up line and see what kind of shoes they are and how much they cost. Bro, let me tell you, I'm never going to make that website because I will confess to you right now, these are Skechers and they are so comfy. And I don't know about your $300 shoes, but these, these, are, these are very nice. I like them a lot. And as long as you've known me until a month ago, I've always driven a Hyundai Elantra. Right, which is, let's just say, it's not, a, I love it. It's not, it's, it's not among the world's elite cars, right? And I actually had to give my most recent one to my oldest daughter. I got a different car, and I've actually been given some grief by some of my friends because I now drive a 2014 Honda Civic. And somehow that that kind of puts, it's got a spoiler on the back. Oh, man, look at this guy, right? And so you got a different kind of pastor, right, when, you, when you're getting teased for, Hyundai's and Honda Civics with spoilers and wearing Skechers on stage, right? So it's not, it's, not, it's not my thing. It's not my thing. But you know what is my thing? Number two, fear. Fear. I may not have an unhealthy craving for more. Some of you may connect with that. But this is the one that I connect with. Real fear. What if? What if? What if I have, what if, what if something bad happens? What if I don't have enough? What if this doesn't work out? What if this happens and this happens and I don't know what we're gonna do? If this doesn't change, if this happens or this happens, this, if this keeps going this way, then we're gonna have, and, and, and I play all of these insane what if scenarios in my mind and I can't get my brain to stop thinking about it. I can't get my brain to stop thinking and being scared about all the different possibilities of all the worst case scenarios of all sorts of things in my life and will we have enough money to be able to handle all these scenarios I can come up with in my mind and I get really, I get really afraid and I get really anxious and I, can just, and I can just feel it. And there's been some times over the last six months where I'll, I'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and uh, maybe this is too much information. I'm old, I'm 50. So I get up at two o'clock in the morning. I gotta go to the bathroom. This is just what I am. And then I go back to bed. I'm trying to go back, I'm trying to go back to bed. And then my brain is like, hey, what, 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 what's gonna happen if, if like both of your daughter's cars break at the same time? What if, what if giving at the church doesn't, doesn't improve? And then all of a sudden, my brain is just like, this is a problem that needs to be tackled at 2.05 in the morning 
with, with overwhelming intensity. And now it's 3.30 and I'm trying to, still trying to go back to sleep. I don't know how much of you guys can relate to that. Just kind of where just crippling anxiety can kind of overwhelm me. And there's been seasons like that. There's been seasons where even just very recently where my wife's job situation was in transition and we made some commitments based on that. And at the same time, late, late in the spring, the, church, the church's giving wasn't very good. And I remember saying, it's like, man, if one of those, like, if, if like, we can't have both of these things being a problem at the same time. And I just remember all these things that I would feel. And honestly, how many different nights over the course of like a month, I just wasn't sleeping well. But just because of, just, just because of fear. And this is the thing that we're gonna talk about a lot more next week. I mean, just what Jesus says is it's like, you're so anxious. Why are you anxious? God takes care of birds. Birds aren't anxious. And he loves you more than birds. You just don't be afraid. Trust, trust me. And so I think, again, we, we, we can find ourselves where it's like, where greed makes us where you're just, you make a really bad decision and now you've become somebody you never meant to be. You become so crippled by fear that you make a decision based out of anxiety that takes you in a place you don't want to go or makes you live a life that you're not wanting to live. But really, if you put both of these things together, what really are we talking about? What is kind of our, what is the core issue here? And, th- and this is something that Jesus talks about a lot. He says the core issue here is in fact idolatry. It's idolatry. Jesus says this very clearly multiple times. Say, listen, you guys, you're thinking about money all the time. You're trying to get money all the time. And your problem is, is you're trying to serve two masters at the same time. You can't do it. If you have two masters, you're going to love one and hate the other one. Or in reverse, hate the first and love the second. You cannot serve two masters. And he makes it very clear what he's talking about. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. You just can't. And I think what has happened in the 2,000 years since Jesus said that, especially in what we'll call the American culture of Christianity, we hear Jesus say that you can't serve these two masters at the same time. And our response is, watch me. Just watch me. I, I, I mean, I, we feel like we are on some personal vendetta to prove the Son of God wrong about probably one of the most significant things that he says is that our really one of our real core problems is this battle that we have about who really is in charge of me. Is it God or is it money? And so the question to kind of the, the, the question that I think is important to ask is which one of those two things informs what you think about the other one? Does God tell you what you're supposed to do and think about money? So if God says, hey, this is what I want you to do with your money. He's like, okay, well then I'll do it because money is obviously subject to God. If God says that I'm supposed to take the first 10% of what I have and give it back to him, it belongs to him, sure, I'll do that. If God says to not spend more than you make, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Save for the future, okay, but it's what God says, and he's in charge, and so I do it. God tells me what I, what I do and think about money. Or is it the reverse? Does my 
drive and unhealthy thinking about money tell me things about God. We've already talked about prosperity theology. My unhealthy greed makes me choose to believe that God is a God who wants me to have a lot of, a God who wants me to be rich. So I ignore significant passages in scripture and focus on a limited number of ones and build a whole theology around it to say, God wants me to be rich. Money informs who God is. Or maybe we're just a little more, not that bad, we're just a little more casual about it. You know, God, I, God, God's, God's kind of big picture. I mean, God's big picture, right? He's, he's got big things to worry about, you know? Starvation, children suffering, natural disasters. Those are the things, God, God doesn't really care. I mean, does God really care about what I do with my money? He doesn't really care. And then we start slowly transitioning, sounds kind of academic here for a second, from theist to deist. A theist believes in a very personal God who is very interested in all the day-to-day of your life. To deist, who believes that God doesn't really care about what's going on. He kind of lives too, too many levels above to care. And so then I get off the hook because God doesn't really care. And so my attitude about money tells me who God is. Normally, I don't end a sermon and like say, hey, here's a bad attitude, here's a bad attitude, here's a bad attitude, let's pray. You all right? He's like, we say, hey man, where's the, where's the hope? Where's the oomph? I was just in Connections last week. You said life-giving. That's not what this has been, bro. This is kind of... And, and, and so this is a teaser. Come back next week. First of all, we're kind of trying to resolve all of this. But I think it's important really to kind of leave it at this question. Who is God in your life? Is it God? Or is it something else? Is God really God? And the second question I would like for you to ask is this. If God could break money's hold on you. If, you're, if the, the, the hold that money has on you, if it could be broken, would you do it? If you could free yourself from the anxiety, from the greed, from the fear, from the striving, from all the things, if, it could, if you could be free from that, would you do it? Because I think these are incredibly important questions. Because there's all sorts of budget planners out there. There's all sorts of inspirational thoughts to be given around giving and saving. And there's all sorts of practical things that can be said. But if the reality of it is, I don't want to be different than what I am. And I'm content with money being on the throne instead of God being on the throne. then all the practical help in the world isn't going to get us there. But the reality is, money is a terrible master. It's the worst. It does not bring you hope. It does not bring you peace. It does not give you life. And it never fulfills its promises. Because you remember, do you remember when you made and had a lot less money than you had right now? And you just told yourself that if you ever got to this level, it would be okay. And then you got to that level, you're at it now and you're still not okay. But God is an amazing master who always brings peace, who always brings hope, who always brings life and does fulfill his promises to you. 
he sent his son Jesus to declare to you and to show to all of us his overwhelming love. And he died as a sacrifice for you so that you could have life with him forever. He is a compassionate, loving God who wants life with you. He is the one that we should serve. So let's make a decision today. I am going to make God, God in my life. And I do want to break the stranglehold that's in my heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we get the opportunity to talk about this. I'm thankful that your son, Jesus, was not afraid to really get, I kind of get at the core of this issue with us. Both with the rich people that he interacted with and the poor people he interacted with. And that he got to the heart of the matter. God, I'm thankful that Paul was the same way. And God, now it's our turn to really take some honest assessment of where we are, where our heart is, who's running the show, what's really going on with me and my desires, my struggles. And so God, I pray that today and this week we really would just be some really healthy evaluation of what's going on. And then that we would come back next week expecting and ready to hear the healing words that you have for the fear and the anxiety and the greed that is overwhelming us. And as always, we are thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross for us that makes all of this possible. And it's in his name we pray, amen.